Would you turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4? Colossians chapter 4. You can open up your Bibles or press your Bible app, little button on your phone there, and get to God's Word quickly. And here we are, you guys. We're at the end of our study in Colossians. We have been in here since January, um, and we have been uh, searching God's Word for what He has for us. And like I said, this will be the closing sermon of Colossians. Now, uh, maybe some of you are breathing a sigh of relief. Man, that guy sure spends a long time in one book. Um, I don't know if that's you or not, um, but maybe this will be like a fresh thing for you next week. We'll be in something else. But God's Word is always good. It's always fresh. And uh, we love spending a lot of time in His Word, searching it for everything that it has in there. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you're just a little sad that we're starting to close out this book. A little sad that Colossians is coming to an end. Well, one of my spiritual heroes in the faith is Pastor John MacArthur out of California, Grace Community Church. And uh, this is a guy that spends a long time in, in books of the Bible. In fact, after uh, he's been in ministry now for 49 years at one church. You don't see that often anymore. Um, faithfulness to one church. And back in 2011, after 42 years of ministry in one church, he, made a, he hit a major milestone a major accomplishment. Anybody know what that is? He preached the whole New Testament. It took him 42 years to preach through the New Testament. In fact, in Grace Community Church, many of you might know this, but they don't ask you what year you came into the church. They ask you what book of the Bible you came into the church. And so with that said, that's why I'm a little sad that we're closing out Colossians. This might be my only kick at the can at this book. And, uh, and so it's coming to a close, but uh, there's so much more to be learned, and uh, much more than that. I'm just uh, grateful for what God is doing in my heart, in your heart, as we, as we look in his, in, his, in his word, being grateful for what he has for us as a church. And I just love that Colossians has been teaching us over and over and over again that Jesus is preeminent in all things. He is first. He is best. He is supreme, and that needs to be our perspective. He is first in creation. We've learned that. He is first in the church. He is first in our lives, first in our marriages, first in our homes, first in our parenting, first in our work experiences, first in everything. And he needs to be our focus as we live our lives in him and, and through him and for him. He will be faithful to be first. He will be faithful to be preeminent to be number one, and he needs to be that. He is that. And so let me start by asking you this morning, when you think about your own journey through Colossians for the last five months, what has God been showing you? What has he been showing you as, as a disciple? What has he been showing you in your own walk with him? Has he been growing you? Has he been teaching you? Has he been working a deep work in your soul? Has he been growing you in your devotion to him? Growing you in your commitment to his church? And with that, also because we are a new church, we're also going to be asking ourselves, is this church actually succeeding what it has been set out to do? Is it a successful church? And how do we know that our church is succeeding? What about this, you know, success of a church? Can get a little confusing, right? How do we measure the success of our ministry? 
Does success equal numbers? Does it equal a flashy building? Awesome programs? Tremendous growth? Is that the signs of success? So when it comes to ministry, what things do we need to be looking for that would be successful in the eyes of the Lord? And we're going to see that today in our scripture. We're going to see as Paul concludes this letter, we're going to see that he's going to be sending some final greetings and instructions to certain individuals, specific people. And through witness of that, we're going to discover not a worldly measure of success, but a preeminent measure. Today, we're going to get insight into God's standard. We're going to be given five biblical proofs of faithful ministry. Five biblical proofs of faithful ministry. And with that, let's pray, and then we'll go to the Lord Lord's word. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians. We thank you that you, by your spirit, wrote the word of God to your people and that it is timeless, that it is always relevant, that as you wrote to this church, this church that was facing false teaching and and struggles with doctrine and, and outside influences coming in, that you taught them to keep their eyes on Jesus Christ. And we love that through this, you teach us. That through this, we get to learn as a church. We get to learn that, that as we set our minds in the things that are above, that you set all things in order. That you resurrect us from the dead. And that you resurrect our relationships. And that you use us for your glory. And so we thank you for that. We pray today that as we close this book, that you would continue to teach us. You are always faithful to do so. So we ask for your spirit to be mightily at work within us, convicting us of sin, exposing darkness, encouraging our hearts, comforting our souls, producing faith, producing repentance, producing godly sorrow, producing worship for your name's sake. Lord, we are here for you this morning. And we pray that you would receive all the glory that is due your name because you are so worthy. And we pray this in the name of King Jesus. Amen. All right, so if you are in Colossians chapter 4, we're going to be starting in in verses 7. Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 and onward. And Paul writes, Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear, wit- for I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. 
Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Well, here we see Paul naming a bunch of people, right? In fact, he names 10 people specifically by name. Nine men, one woman. And through this, we're going to see this, a proof of faithful ministry. The first proof that, that we're going to see is that people are faithfully serving the Lord. People are faithfully serving the Lord. So we see 10 people, nine men, one woman. And it seems like it all comes to us in rapid fire, kind of, kind of like the credits at the end of a movie. You know, when you watch a good movie and, and you're watching all the credits at the end, um, if you're a Marvel fan, you usually stay to the end and watch the very end, but most of the time you just dart out of the theater and, and you don't really pay a lot of attention to those names, right? That's kind of like what's going on here. Sometimes we open up God's word and we look at these concluding greetings and we're like, oh yeah, that's just a bunch of names. I'm just going to look over that, right? But God's word is breathed out, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is what? It is breathed out. It is profitable, Right? All of it is good, and so we see this greeting, and we're going we're gonna to see that there's much to be learned here. God has much to teach us here, and this first proof, like I said, is that people are faithfully serving the Lord. Proof number one of, of faithful ministry is people are faithfully serving the Lord, and so we start here with Tychicus. Isn't that an awesome name? Who's going to name their next kid Tychicus? I was thinking, what would that be short? You'd, you'd call him Ticky, right? Tychicus. Well, Paul writes about Tychicus. He says in verse 7 here, Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And so we see here that this guy named Tychicus, he, he, he was being sent back to the Colossian church. Paul was in prison. Paul is sending him back to the church, back to the church as a messenger to, to carry this, this letter of, of the Colossians. He's also traveling with Onesimus. They were both messengers between, between the church and Paul. But this is the first time we see Tychicus in, in the book of, of Colossians. But it's not the first that we've heard of him in Scripture. In fact, it's surprising how much Tychicus is actually in Scripture. In fact, he is first mentioned in Acts 20, verse 4. He's mentioned as one of the Asians. Uh, and that wouldn't be Asia as we think about it today. That would be Asia Minor in Turkey today. He was a, an Asian ministry partner who traveled with Paul on his third and final missionary journey. He was also the courier of the letter of the Ephesians. Ephesians 6.21 mentions him. And also the letter of Philemon. And many commentators also believe he was part of the delivery of the, the, sec, the letter uh, 2 Corinthians as well, along with Titus. So Tychicus was, was also mentioned twice in Paul's letter to Titus and 2 Timothy 4.12. So this guy's all over the place in Scripture. He's not just one of, those, one of those names that you'll never see again. He's all over. 
Uh, but the one thing that you notice over and over with this guy named Tychicus is that he was a man on the move. He was always being sent somewhere. He was a going concern. He was, he was faithful. He was a dependable servant for the mission of Christ. And Paul here, he describes him as such. He says, Tychicus, he is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. That's a big description to have from the Apostle Paul. A beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant. Diakonos is the word for servant here. As we look at that, this should be our desire. Thinking of that title, thinking of how Paul describes him, this ought to be our desire as servants of Christ. It should also be our desire as disciple makers. Remember, disciples are disciple makers as well. That should be your desire as you reproduce somebody in the faith as well. And so Tychicus was one of these kind of guys that, that you could give him any task in ministry and he would go for it. No matter how hard it was or detailed, he would make it happen. He would go. You could ask him to go and do it and he would say, all right, I'm going. You could trust him that he would do an amazing job. And this is what Paul says that he is doing. Paul says, I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Now, although we really don't know much about Tychicus, about his formal life, what we do know is that he was fully devoted. And he was trusted. He was beloved. Just think about it. This guy was sent to be a representative of the Apostle Paul. That is no small task. That's a pretty trusted duty. So this man, he was no, he was no lightweight. He would have been a rugged man, a traveler. And he was beloved, he was faithful, and he was a fellow servant of the Lord. This guy gave his life away for the Lord. And so, friends, by example of Tychicus, we see this proof, number one, of, of successful discipleship, faithful ministry. Tychicus was not a pew warmer. He wasn't on the sidelines. He was faithfully on the front lines of ministry, serving the Lord with his whole life. And this is what the gospel does. That's what the gospel does in the church. It produces disciple-makers who follow faithfully. This is the fruit also of faithful disciple-making. And so, friends, what we see here is that the proof of, of faithful ministry is not the beauty of a building. It's, it's not how great the music is. It is about faithfulness. It's about the reproduction of willing, faithful servants who are, who are following, who are coming alongside, who are going, who are rolling up their sleeves, who are serving the Lord through serving the church. Just think about the fact that Tychicus, he would have had this great responsibility traveling alongside one of the biggest troublemakers of all history. Walking alongside Paul was no, was no light kind of a duty. There was always trouble where Paul went. And even now that Paul is in prison, Tychicus, he has to continue to carry out this dangerous ministry in Paul's stead, traveling 
treacherous roads. And we think of traveling today, like we drive to Edmonton, oh, that was a hard trip. Or even to our hometown, it's, it's about nine, ten hours. We're pretty wore out just because we're sitting and driving, right? All right, these guys had to walk thousands of kilometers on foot. Treacherous roads, deadly waters, thousands of kilometers. And with that, friends, if you're looking for proof of successful ministry, look to the people. Look to the people. Are they faithful? Are they faithfully following? Are they trustworthy? Are they giving their lives away for the Lord? Are they fully devoted, serving the Lord wherever he takes them? And not only serving with their hands and their feet, but also serving with their stuff, being open-handed with what they have. Are they generous with what God has given them? If you look down to verse 15, we see an example of this as well. An example of a faithful follower who is open-handed with her generosity. Paul says in verse 15, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Now, we don't know a lot about Nympha either here. But what we do know is that she is open-handed and she is generous with what she has. The church in Laodicea is using her home to gather just like in Acts 2, 42 to 47, as they all devoted themselves to the fellowship, sharing life, meeting in a larger gathering, meeting in a smaller gathering in each other's homes. Nympha is a model example for us here as well of someone who is so changed by the gospel that she is open-handed. She is giving it away faithfully. So friends, faithful ministry produces faithful servants who give away their time and their things to the glory of God. It moves people from being consumers to being gospel producers. That's what we're seeing here. Faithful witnesses here. And so let us ask ourselves that question. How am I doing when it comes to faithful serving? How am I doing when it comes to faithful giving? How am I doing when it comes to my time and my talent and my treasure? And am I open-handed? Am I generous? Am I going? Am I giving? How are we as a church doing in this area, collectively? Are we faithfully serving with our time and with our stuff? Well, I just got to say by, by looking out on many of you and, and some who are not here this morning, God has been so faithful to bring us faithful followers. He has. Over the last year and a half through this, this church plant, God has brought us faithful servants. And we rejoice in that. And so I just want to thank you in that on behalf of our church and our elders, that you come and you give your time, you, you give your talent, you give your treasure, you give your life away. Jesus has been faithful through you to build his church. I just remember when we started meeting as a core group, and we're just wondering, who is God going to bring us? And even today, it looks much different than what we started with. And one of the first exhortations I had for us as a core group was that even though I am the token pastor, I am not the church planter, right? I said, we are all church planters. We're all planting this church. The mission is not for a few. The mission is for all. And you believed it. And you worked hard. And you went after it. And we, we treasure that. We thank you for that. And we still need to have this mindset. 
as our church begins to transition, as, as we're looking forward to where's the next space we need to meet in for more room. We need faithful followers to come alongside, just like we were announcing this morning. We need more hands, more feet to come alongside and to serve faithfully. There's no slowing down when it comes to the gospel. No slowing down at all. doesn't matter how big a church gets, we should always be going. We never get to a comfortable place. And we're always looking outward. So yes, we do need more help. We, we need more Tychicuses. That's hard to say. We need more Nymphas. We need more fellow servants, more beloved people, more faithful people, setting their minds on Christ, following him, committing their hands, committing their feet and their hearts to serve faithfully. And so we see here this first proof that Paul is showing us today as we witness these lives is, is that the first proof is that people are faithfully serving the Lord. They are faithfully serving him. And then we're going to see another proof, another evidence by witness of some of these other people that we're going to witness, and it is this. People are sacrificially serving each other. Proof number two. People are sacrificially serving each other. Verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who was called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Key, they have been a comfort to me. Then also, when you look down to verse 14, you see somebody else mentioned, a doctor, a physician. You see Luke. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. And then we also see another name, Demas. Now, this can probably be said of all the people that are listed here, but Paul spells out specifically that Aristarchus and Mark, Jesus, who was called Justice, they were not only faithful fellow workers, but they were also a great comfort to him. They were people who brought Paul consolation while he was in prison. They brought comfort to him when it would have been tempting to have great disappointment. They were there for him. Anybody ever have a friend like that? They are there for you in thick and thin. When the hard times come, they're there for you. Through the good times, they're there for you. In the bad times, they are there for you. You can always count on them to be in your corner. They're there in the fight, and they're also there to clean you up and to bind up the wounds. These guys followed Paul no matter where it led them. Remember, Paul was in prison, and they were serving him. They were comforting him. They were meeting his needs. And this guy named Aristarchus, he he joined Paul back in, in the mission field, way back in Ephesus. And he was so closely associated with Paul that he was seized by a mob during riots. And this is not the riots that we would see today, downtown Calgary protesting a pipeline. That, that's not the kind of riots. We're talking about stoning to the point of death. This would have been brutal treatment. Aristarchus, what a man. He was also with Paul when Paul returned to Jerusalem with the collection, and he was also on the ship with him when he went to Rome, and now he's with him as a fellow prisoner. Paul says he's a fellow prisoner. What a friend. He would go with you, follow you to the point of being in prison. He would give up his freedom to serve and follow Paul. Just think of the comfort that comes along with that. If you were Paul, your friend Aristarchus, following you to the point of prison, 
having a fellow friend in prison. He was a sacrificial servant. The same would be said of of Mark, who who willingly joined Paul in Rome and, and justice. And then in verse 14, we see Luke on the scene. This is Luke, who wrote Luke in Acts. Paul's beloved physician, a faithful companion, but also one who would serve Paul by treating his wounds, his many medical needs, this this thorn in the flesh. He was was a part of salving that, his many wounds, and all these complications that that came apart from Paul's many run-ins with people. Remember, he was stoned to the point of death and in shipwrecks and all kinds of things and beatings. And then we even see this guy named Demas who was there with them as well. Now, we also know that Demas would later desert Paul, but he was faithful at this time. So friends, what we see here is as those who are faithful to serve the Lord will also be faithful to serve one another. It goes hand in hand. Love for God always leads to love for others especially in the faith, especially with our brothers and sisters. And so we see here another proof of successful ministry. Paul's ministry is that these Christians are now sacrificially serving one another, devoting their lives not only to the Lord, but also to each other. And again, I just want to commend you all in this as well. In the life of our church before that, our core group, before that as a small group. I mean, this goes back two and a half years to the Benison's home as a small group when we started this out. Sacrificial love towards one another. Rich generosity when people are in need. And it's evidence that the Lord is working in you. And I see it. We all see it. And we're thankful. It's also evidence that you are following the discipleship as set before you. That as you are hearing from God's word, you are listening to it, but you're not just being a hearer, you're also being a doer. You are believing it and you are following. As I've put a call out in the past for families in need, you've always been faithful to help. You guys show up big and it's been awesome. And and there's just just some times where where I just even, I hear of, of of you doing something without even being asked, and I love that. I love to hear the generosity and the help coming from someone to somebody else, and it hasn't even been asked for, and that is glorious, awesome stories. I love to see how we, after church, run to fellowship. We love to get together and talk about what the Lord is doing and how our lives are going together. I love to see how when somebody comes through the doors here, they are greeted, they are loved. It's evidence of Christ's love in you as well. You're sacrificing yourself for those who are coming into our church. Love that. Jesus is building himself a church, and he is faithful to build this through you, and the love that you have for others is evidence of that. God's word is working in us, and we are grateful. He is building a church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, that doesn't mean we've got it all figured out, right? doesn't mean we've arrived somewhere. How many people here believe you can still grow in this area of sacrificially loving each other? Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Friends, we will always be in need of growth in this area as long as we are in the world. Right? So let's grow together. There can never be enough love for one another. 
An example of this is also how we pray for one another. I believe as a church, we need to grow much more in the area of prayer. We do, and we're getting there. The immediacy at which we run to pray for one another directly reflects the love that we have for one another, which ultimately reflects the faith we have in Christ. How quickly we run to the Lord in prayer is evidence of God's work in us. Hear these words from John Calvin. Our prayer must not be self-centered. It must arrive not only because we feel our own need as a burden we must lay upon God, but also because we are so bound up in love for our fellow men that we feel their need as acutely as our own. To make intercession for men is the most powerful and practical way in which we can express our love for them. So if we say that we love each other, how quickly are we running to pray for one another? And so when it comes to practically, how do we work this out? Let me just commend you in this. Never tell anybody you're going to pray for them. Pray for them right now. I'll even say it this week. I had a phone call. I should have prayed for that person right then, not waited. And I'm sure it's the same with you as well. Let us never say we're going to pray for somebody and then never do it. We ought to be a people where, where as we gather, we see each other praying for one another. That should be a very normal thing. Right? So if a friend ever calls you and they need prayer, pray right for them right in the phone. Follow, love, pray for them. And, and also with these connect folders that we have, you guys see this little black book that goes around? That's for everybody. That's not just for new visitors. That's for everybody. And we want to hear your prayers. And I'll just tell you, we've actually not received a whole lot of prayers. When we pass it around, it, we might get four or five a week. And we also have a link on our, on our website for prayers. Not a lot coming in from there either, guys. Let's start sharing our lives, loving each other. Fill that out. Pray for one another. In the fall, we're going to be moving these requests to, to leadership here. Right now, just the elders, I get it, and then elders in the north get it to pray for. But it's going to be moving to leaders here as well. And of course, you can select on there whether you want it for elders' eyes only or for leaders here in the church. Just so that there's more people praying for you, loving each other through prayer. So let's love each other better and let's be in prayer together. So proof number two of successful ministry in the eyes of the Lord is when people are sacrificially loving each other. And then we have a third proof, which is exampled in these greetings as well. Proof number three, people are reconciling relationships. People are reconciling relationships. There are two people here mentioned in this list who've had some pretty serious um, breakdown of relationship. First, we see Onesimus, who was Tychicus's traveling partner, verse 9. It says here in verse 9, and with him, Onesimus, who's also titled a faithful and beloved brother, who was one of you. So has anybody heard of this, this guy Onesimus before? All right, if you've read the book of Philemon, you would have heard of Onesimus. In fact, the whole reason that letter was, was written was about Onesimus being reunited with his master Philemon. The whole purpose was about that. Like a, like a prodigal, Onesimus, who was this slave, he ran away from his master Philemon. Uh, but in the middle of his rebellion, he runs into Paul. Runs into Paul, right? And what's Paul going to do with this? Well, he became a disciple of Paul, and, and now Paul commends that the next natural step in his discipleship is to reconcile with his master. Remember, we, we talked about slaves and masters a few weeks ago. 
And his, his first next step as, as a Christian is to now reconcile his relationship. This is what the gospel does. The gospel resurrects, restores, reconciles relationships. Corinthians teaches us that the Christian ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. How about this guy named Mark? John Mark here. Colossians 4.10b says, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Well, this is the same Mark, John Mark, who, who Paul says back on his first missionary journey, departed him. In Acts 15, there was a major conflict between Paul and Barnabas over Mark. In Acts 15, verses 37 to 40, Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John, called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. There was this sharp disagreement over this guy named Mark. But now we see Paul doing something. He's, he's commending Mark. He says, if he comes to you, welcome him. We also know, know later that, that Paul has awesome things to say about Mark. In, in his letter to Timothy, Paul says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful for me in ministry. 2 Timothy 4.11. Well, I love this. Because we see that even in ministry, even in ministry, relationships can break down. They can be broken. But the gospel has the power to reconcile those relationships. This is proof of, of successful discipleship, successful ministry in the church. A faithful church ought to have relationships that are reconciling. Confession and repentance that are not only going up to the Father, but also going towards one another. These things that happen in heaven also have a temporal ramification here as well. Love for God equals love for people. Reconciliation to the Lord leads to reconciliation with one another. And so a healthy church that's pursuing real discipleship should be marked by relational reconciliation with one another. You know, it's often been stated over the years at many Christian conferences and marriage conferences um, that divorce rates in the church are no different than in the world. Anybody hear that before? All right. Now, to some extent, that is true. But those numbers come from a great big umbrella of what is called the church, okay? It's just a real generic picture. But when you narrow down the studies of, of churches that have faithful discipleship who hold to biblical authority, those numbers drop dramatically. Churches that are fully devoted have way less divorce rates, way less um, relational issues than in other churches. That, don't. that doesn't mean that we don't. It just means that when you are more faithful to God's word, more faithful to what he has for the church, relationships are reconciled. And so even though we are a new church, we're going to have conflict. We're going to have marriage strife. There's always going to be something that needs to be worked out. And so as we move forward as a church, 
Know that your leadership here firmly believes in the authority of God, and we firmly believe that the gospel has the power to resurrect relationships and to reconcile. This church will never be satisfied with just overlooking relational conflict. We will not sweep things under the carpet. God's word calls us to a higher standard. And so proof number three of successful ministry in the eyes of the Lord is that people are reconciling relationships. Of course, that's a big topic. We could spend a couple weeks there. And then the fourth proof we see is that people are growing spiritually. People are growing spiritually. Verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling in your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. So remember, Epaphras was the planting pastor of the church of Colossae. This, this letter that, that we are reading, he's, he's the pastor of that church. And he, he traveled to Rome to seek Paul's help regarding some of this dangerous teaching, dangerous people and, and threats of the world to the church. And Paul reminds the church of his faithful character here and that Epaphras' prayer for the church was that they would be growing spiritually, struggling in that prayer, Remember that word at the start of Colossians, when when Paul was praying, struggling in prayer, comes from the word agonizomai, to agonize, to labor, to fight on their behalf in prayer. And his desire is for their maturity, for them to grow spiritually, that they would stand complete in Christ and aligned, fully aligned with the will of God. And so friends, the will of the Lord is our sanctification. Our growth in holiness. And so a church that desires to be faithful to God's word will desire to be growing in Christ's likeness. And so if you want to measure the faithfulness of a church, look to the faithfulness. Look to the fruit that's being produced. Look to the purity of the body. Look to the maturity of the bride. Are we growing? Are we growing spiritually? So at Harvest, we we believe that a, a true Christ follower cannot fulfill God's will for their life without being connected to the church. And to be connected to the church, we believe, as prescribed by God's word, that we have to commit to consistent growth and accountability within a community of believers. So that's both in the larger gathering, but we, we see this happening more in the smaller gathering as we apply God's word. We believe that our small groups is ground zero for spiritual growth. It's where we apply God's word to each other. It's where we pray for one another. More specifically, it's where we we hold each other accountable to the world. We get to know each other. We know where you're at in your life, how we can help you, how we can pray for you. And so as again, as we look over the past year and a half, if you're a core group member here, or if you've just been here over the five last five or six months as we've we've launched. Look at your life. Have you been growing in Christ? Are you desiring more and more to look like Jesus? How about when you look around at the body? Do you see people who are growing in Christ's likeness? Is there healthy soil in this church? Is it being fertilized by the word of God? And is Christ faithful to grow? So look 
at the faithfulness and the fruit. Look at the maturing. God is always faithful. You open up that Bible. You open that up. God is faithful to grow spiritual leaders. And Archippus here is most likely the son of Philemon. And he is growing. And he's even growing in his spiritual leadership. That's another area of growing. Paul commends him in verse 17 to see that, that he fulfills his ministry that he has received in the Lord. Paul confirms that he needs to continue to grow and to pursue the ministry that the Lord has for him. A healthy, successful ministry is marked by growing fruit and maturity and also growing leadership. God wants to grow leaders out of this church, raising them up, producing leaders. Christ is faithful to do that. And so if we are faithful to disciple, he will be faithful to grow leaders out of us. So maybe today you're sitting to somebody next to somebody who is the next church planter, who is going to plant the next church out of this church. We believe God does that. Christ is faithful. Maybe you're sitting next to the, the next deacon or the next leader of, of this ministry or, or maybe the next elder. God is faithful to produce leaders, and so we need to start praying to that end as well. And this is not strange. This is what Scripture says about that. We see it in Acts 6. We see it in Acts 14.23. We see it in Titus 1.5, that the Lord is faithful to raise up leaders from within the church. It's only really a modern concept that we actually look outside the church to get leaders. Scripture always points us to looking at leaders that are built up in the church. So that's another mark, another proof of faithful discipleship. And then we see proof number five. People are kingdom-minded. People are kingdom-minded. Colossians 4, verses 15 to 16. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea, and to Nympha and the church in her house. We've already talked about her. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And then we see down in verse 18, Paul writes this greeting with his own hand. And he says, remember my chains. Grace be with you. So as much as we believe and we love the local church, we belong to a greater church. There is the local church and there is the universal church, the gathered Christians that are scattered throughout the world that we also belong to. And so we need to be kingdom-minded, having them in our thoughts. We see that by example here of the Colossians. They were being instructed to pass your letter on to the Laodiceans and then have the Laodiceans also bring that letter to you so that you can read it. This speaks of, of a unified vision, a collective ministry outside of our walls. So friends, we can't be just a church that's just doing our own thing. We can't just be inward. We have to be outward as well. We must connect with other churches, working together for them in the kingdom. As most of you know, we belong to a group of churches called the Great Commission Collective. It's over 125 churches across the globe. And, uh, and this is the reason that we gather is right here, to be stronger together. One of our slogans is stronger together. We partner together to plant, to strengthen, and to multiply great commission churches. 
This means that we share in our training, we share our resources, we share in this unified vision for how we are to fulfill the Great Commission. We need each other, and we love to fellowship with one another, and we're stronger together. And so we pray that as we move forward, we would be a more kingdom-minded church, even locally, as we partner with other churches in this city, other like-minded churches. We're already doing that. This is a healthy thing, acknowledging that we're not the only ones on the block, Right? There is others who are faithfully proclaiming the news of Jesus Christ. And so successful ministry in the eyes of the Lord is not measured by worldly standards. It's measured by heavenly standards, a preeminent measure. People are faithfully serving the Lord, sacrificially serving one another, reconciling relationships, growing spiritually, and they are kingdom-minded. This is the kind of church I want to belong to. I don't know about you, but this is the kind of church that I want to be a part of. I don't want to be a part of a church that just is for my consumption. I want to be a part of a church that's going, that is fulfilling the Great Commission as God has laid it out for us. And then we see Paul conclude this letter. Listen to his words. He says, I, Paul. Remember, Paul would have had an amanuensis, somebody that he would dictate to, and they would write for him. But he, he really wants them to know that this is him. And he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Paul wants the Colossians to know that even though they've never met him, that he is intimately involved in their ministry. And he desires kingdom getting built through their church. He also desires their prayers for him. Again, this idea of, of kingdom-mindedness, praying for somebody else outside your church to remember him. He could have been facing death, punishment in prison. To remember the gospel put him in prison. It's because of the gospel that Paul is there, and it's the gospel that we follow. And that same gospel could also lead to our own persecution and put us in places we would not to we would not want to be, but God is sovereign over all of that. And it is all of grace. Love that. He says, grace be with you. What a way to conclude. Grace be with you. God's grace be with you. It's all because of grace. It's all because of God's grace. He loves us despite us. He is full of grace towards us. It's grace that gives us the cross. It's grace, amazing grace that we sing about that leads us to salvation. I love that song we sang, He Will Hold Me Fast. That is all of grace. It is God that saves us. It is God that keeps us. It is God that establishes the church. Jesus says, I will build my church. And I love what we read in Exodus. God will go before you. He will not forsake you. He will not forsake this church. Let us be faithful to follow. Apart from grace, the Colossian church would never have existed. Apart from grace, we would not be here. We would have no hope against the threats of false teaching. We would have no hope of eternal life in Christ Jesus. We would have no hope and joy in the everlasting God. It's all of grace. 
And as we've been learning through the book of Colossians, that grace is preeminent. That grace is a person. That grace is Jesus Christ. And so as we close the book of Colossians, let us set our minds on him. Set our minds on the things that are above. Walk in him. Be strengthened in him. Be changed by him. Remember, we got to put on those new clothes. Put on that new heart that has been given to you. Walk faithfully in him. Walk in the spirit. It's only by grace that we can pursue Jesus Christ. And that grace was fully on display in the cross of Jesus Christ. As he died for you. As he bled for you. As he took the nails for you. This should have been you. This should have been me on that cross. But he stood in your place. He took it for you so that you could have eternal life in him. And in the end, ultimately, God gets all the glory. That's why we're here as a church. It's all because of grace. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that your grace is sufficient for us. We thank you, Lord, that, uh, that you are a God who loves your people. That you are a God who, who loves us so much that you sent us your word. You sent us your holy and inspired and infallible, inerrant, sufficient word. That it is true. That it is everlasting. That it teaches us that that we can have salvation in Jesus Christ if we turn from our sins and turn to him. Knowing that we could not save ourselves, no matter how hard we work, no matter how hard we try. You are the giver of faith. You are full of grace. And you call us to repent of our sins and to trust in you. And Lord, we thank you that inside of that, as you save people, you are also building your church Like we often say here, we are not saved merely to be saved. We are saved to the church. And we love this church that you are building. Use us for your glory. Get glory. Get your glory here. That is our desire. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.